0: Hello, in this week's 15-minute UN catch-up we hear from the UNA team that's been caught up in the terrifying volcanic eruption in DR Congo's Goma City, plus the week's top news stories from UN news covering Ethiopia's Tigray, Covid in Africa and a global biodiversity regeneration call. I'm your host, Daniel Johnson, and I'm recording this at 1900 hours Central European Time on Thursday, the 4th of June. With me also, albeit virtually, is regular guest Solange Behertega-Cortez. Thanks for listening. Right, on with the show. Let's start with the news. An area of land the size of China needs restoring if the planet's biodiversity and the communities who rely on it are to be protected, UN agencies said on Thursday. The FAO and UNEP, who are the Food and Agriculture Organization and the UN Environment Programme, have called to reinstate at least one billion degraded hectares of land by 2030. That challenge must be matched by a similar commitment to the oceans, or else risk a growing threat to global food security, both agencies insisted. Here's Tim Christofferson, head of UNEP's Nature for Climate branch, Ecosystems Division. If we do this at the necessary scale, It will have benefits far beyond climate change and biodiversity. It will have benefits for food security, for health, for clean water, for jobs. Restoration can benefit all the sustainable development goals. In a new report marking the start of a decade of ecosystem restoration, the UN agencies warned that humans are already using 1.6 times the resources that nature can provide sustainably. They said that conservation efforts alone will be insufficient to prevent large-scale ecosystem collapse and biodiversity loss, underscoring the need for countries to reprogram their post-COVID-19 recovery and move away from massive subsidies to carbon-heavy sectors such as fossil fuels. Critical health facilities across Africa face being overwhelmed as COVID-19 cases surge ahead of the real and rising threat of a third wave of infections. In an appeal to authorities to boost life-saving facilities, the Wealth Health Organisation WHO also warned on Thursday that vaccine shipments were at a near halt. To date, only around 2% of Africans have received at least one dose of COVID-19 vaccine, compared with 24% globally. In the last two weeks, Africa has seen a 20 per cent increase in coronavirus infections compared to the previous fortnight. South Africa has seen a sustained increase in cases. Uganda reported a 131 per cent week-on-week rise last week, and Angola and Namibia have also witnessed a resurgence, WHO said to Ethiopia's Tigray region where the World Food Programme, WFP, said that it's embarked on a new round of humanitarian deliveries to mainly vulnerable women and children, some of the 5.2 million people at risk. Emergency food assistance from the UN agency has now reached one million people since distribution started in northwestern and southern zones of Tigray in March. The UN agency intends to scale up operations to reach 2.1 million people in the region where fighting erupted last November between central government forces and regional power brokers loyal to the former ruling National Party. This week's target districts in Tigray's southern zones are Coram and Ofla, where WFP expects to assist around 80,000 people of the 200,000 most in need. Speaking in Geneva on Tuesday, WFP spokesperson Thompson Fury underscored the disturbing results of new food insecurity assessments. We are seeing rising levels of malnourished women and children. According to the Nutrition Cluster, which is a grouping of agencies who are working in nutrition, almost half of the pregnant or nursing mothers in 53 villages were either moderately or acutely malnourished the millionth person to collect food aid was Asta Bayene from Milan, a remote rural village 50 kilometers from Shire in the northwestern zone. The 43-year-old mother of seven lost both her home and crops two months ago to conflict. She said that until now she'd been forced to rely on handouts from neighbors, but that the wheat, split peas and vegetable oil that she received would finally provide some relief from the hunger her family had been suffering. The news there, and this is UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva with me, Daniel Johnson. Now to our interview, which comes from Goma, where Mount Nyaragongo erupted on the 22nd of May, sending a lava lake across the centre of the city, destroying homes and almost reaching the airport runway. A UN refugee agency team was caught up in the emergency and had to evacuate, along with hundreds of thousands of people. For a first-hand account of the situation and the wider problems in DR Congo's east, here's Jackie Keegan, head of UNHCR's GOMA office, complete with a very noisy-winged onlooker, as you'll hear.
1: The earthquakes have slowed and are now of less intensity, of lowered intensity. There remains movement of the magma underneath the city of Goma and a risk of a second eruption following the eruption of the 22nd of May.
0: How many people are on the move from Goma?
1: The current estimate is about 430,000 people who fled Goma in the immediate aftermath of the eruption on the 22nd or the uh, the order to evacuate on the, in the early morning of the 27th of May. theres there is a bit of movement. Some people are coming back to parts of Goma that are considered to be less dangerous, but there are still certainly hundreds of thousands of people in different parts of North Kivu and even Northern South Kivu who have fled the threats that we're now facing.
0: There are one and a half million people in Goma, however, and there is talk of a lava stream two and a half miles beneath the surface of the city. So If they were to be evacuated, if they needed to flee, where would they go? Is there capacity to help them? And even for those who have already fled?
1: I've come back to Goma. I left with the first wave to help my colleagues set up a response in Sake. If those of us, the few of us who have come back to Goma need to leave again, including the rest of the residents here, then we would need to go west to Sake and into South Kivu and probably the mountains north of Sake and Minova, where the majority of people are. Or indeed, we would need to go north to Ruchuru and the area north of Goma generally.
0: And how about the violence to the north, Jackie, in the Kivus that's displaced hundreds of thousands of people? Have you got access to them? Where are they sheltering?
1: They're scattered around North Kivu and in different parts. There are are multiple armed groups. There there are as many as 122 armed groups recognized in North Kivu, South Kivu and Ituri, active. And then there are military operations against them as well as conflicts between them. So they're scattered around the province. There are several key operating areas in inland from from Goma and from the Rondo-Ugandan border. Most people are hosted in host families in the Congo, by far the majority. Those who are living in sites are often there for a very long period of time so we're working with communities and local authorities to try to help the capacity really of locals to respond because they are the first responders really we're with their
0: support yes and you yourself have been displaced i don't know if you were displaced from the eight neighborhoods in goma which had to be evacuated where are you talking to me from are you in a tent are you in a complex what's the situation for you and your team at the moment in goma
1: my team in Goma is made up of me and one other person and we are in the relatively safer area of Goma. We've, we've come back since the initial flight. I accompanied my first operational team when Goma was being emptied. We went together to sake and indeed I stayed in a tent with eight colleagues and we tried to get a bit of sleep and to try and get some work started. We managed to get first tarpaulins and immediate items and then we're starting to build supplies. We started that the day after we all got there. We got there on the night of the 27th and the distribution started on the 28th in sake another team arrived and is now in ruchuru as of yesterday so i came down to goma in order to help coordinate both of those teams and to support them and also to connect with people in the rest of the province so that we're able to keep the work going not only in those two hubs but also in northern south kivu minova and kalehe and and then also as we were saying before in in places where people have needed to flee violence caused by conflict
0: it sounds like you need a lot more people than you appear to have on the ground, Jackie. And just quickly then, on to Sake, which is to the west of Goma, where a lot of people are based and and where they're getting help, there is a massive cholera threat there, though, isn't there? So how are you managing to respond to that and if I might just add on to that bolt on quickly what's been the biggest challenge and insight that you've learned from being displaced yourself and then trying to deal with an emergency?
1: Asake is one of many places in the eastern DRC where cholera is endemic and we and others are trying we have a relatively small water and sanitation program that accompanies our work in camps and sites the Red Cross, UNICEF, uh, others are working on trying to get water in in much larger quantities to people. Another important problem is that the water system for Goma town itself was damaged in the the uh, volcano and earthquake of last weekend. So there's also work being done to try and improve that situation so that when people can come back, they don't come back to a, a dangerous situation or a more dangerous situation. Um, you know, I I was a lucky one. I we were, we were, we ran away with a bag of stuff and we weren't quite sure where we were going to sleep that night. And so, like everybody else, we had to knock on doors and and we were lucky. We found the Guatemalan contingent of Monusco offers us a tent, and we were we were very lucky to be there. And and we felt that's
0: the UN Peacekeepers, isn't it?
1: The UN Peacekeepers helped us, yeah. And we felt lucky to be there. Just as people who fled to, you know, the Catholic parishes or, or other churches and, and, and places mm-hmm. of worship, schools, you know, we did what we could. I think, I mean, one of my colleagues said to me that she actually left with her children and she said she had never properly understood the importance of child-friendly spaces to displacement situations, that it's it's a really important thing for children to be able to have space to go where they feel safe and where parents are safe leaving them so parents can deal with the logistics of being displaced. And I, I think we've all got, each of us, little lessons learned from our experiences, how important a warm blanket is. You know, it's we, we often feel we don't give enough, but those little things, in fact, end up being really big when you're wet and cold and the ground is shaking and you can still see the glow from the volcano. So, we have a bit of sympathy, I think, for people in a way that maybe we didn't understand before.
0: Many thanks to Jackie Keegan for sharing her precious time and insight when she had a million things to do other than talk to me. Right, to wrap up the show, it's time to say a very warm hola to Solange Beategui Cortes from the Information Service at UN Geneva for her personal take on this week's interview from the DRC.
2: Hi, Solange. Hola, Daniel. Well, Living under a volcano, knowing that it can fall on you at any time must be something that puts you in constant insecurity. Unfortunately for people in Goma, Mount Niragongo is not the only source of insecurity. As we heard from Jackie Keegan, we are talking about Ebola, endemic cholera, COVID, years of of ethnic conflict, Violence On Tuesday, UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, strongly condemned attacks by suspected members of the Allied Democratic Forces in Eastern DR Congo. The attacks which targeted internally displaced persons camps near the towns of Boga in Irumu territory, Ituri and Chabi in North Kiru province, left at least 55 civilians dead and many others injured. Before the eruption of the 3,470 meter Mount Niragongo, people were already walking in burning lava. Volcanoes have strong symbolism in indigenous communities and in literature, there are many metaphors the French and Martinique writer M. Césaire was haunted by a double obsession, the negative vision of a potentially deadly volcano, which at the same time fascinated him. Césaire wrote a play called A Season in the Congo, in which he compares decolonization to a volcano. In act three, scene one, one of the characters says, I did not think that faster than the lava of the volcano grows, a caste would have been born of voracious and insatiable dogs, the caste of colonels and new gentlemen. And it is this caste that has confiscated for its benefit the advantages that you were entitled to expect from our Congolese revolution. There are reckless, furious, unpredictable volcanoes. Volcanoes that that swallow whole cities like Pompeii in their time. But there are also human acts that kill faster than the fiery lava of volcanoes. After dealing with the immediate terrible effects of the eruption, the people of Goma will still have to dig themselves out from other human disasters.
0: Thank you, Solange. And of course, that digging yourself out from disaster and resilience building and also development are key issues that the United Nations is involved in doing in participation with many international and domestic partners and national governments. We will have the latest on the frankly very worrying Mount Nyiragongo situation on the UN News website, of course, so please look there for further details. That's pretty much it, though, from us. But before we go, a belated farewell to long-standing friend of the show, Justine Bryce, who was here at the very beginning, our production assistant and researcher, who's always been behind the scenes but a friendly face, too, to have on board, She's moving on to bigger and brighter things after her stint at UN TV and radio here in Geneva. We are missing her already, and if you're listening to us, Justine, thank you again for all of your help. Thanks to you, too, listeners, because we do appreciate you following us please get in touch via the UN Geneva Facebook page or you can also contact us on our Twitter feed at UN Geneva. We really would love to hear from you and we'd love to hear about your stories if you would care to share them. That's it from Solange and from me. We hope that you can join us next time. Bye-bye for now.
2: Bye, Daniel, and saludos to Justine, to everybody, and thank you for listening.